Well, there's nothing in life more devastating to human nature than the habit of or the incapability of making a decision. I'm going to quote to you a line that I picked up somewhere, I don't remember where anymore, but it's very uh, important in this matter. And it goes like this, quote, On the plains of desolation, there bleaches the bones of countless millions who at the very dawn of victory sat down to wait and waiting died. Unquote. Now I'm going to repeat that to you because I think it's so important. On the plains of desolation, there bleaches the bones of countless millions who at the very dawn of victory sat down to wait and waiting died. They couldn't make up their minds. Now, of course, we know as alcoholics particularly the damage that comes to our lives from the habit of indecision. One of the first byproducts was the habit of procrastination. Keep putting off till tomorrow, you know. Anything would come up for us to do, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to do it one of these days. Everything was put off until the morrow. And from that came neglect of work, neglect of responsibility. Inside there grew tension because there was never oneness in our thinking. We couldn't make up our minds. Our physical bodies suffered as a result. And if you don't believe that, just take some important problem in your life and kick it around for several weeks. And you're going to be the most tired person every day that you could possibly think you could be tired. Then from that came the habit of making excuses. We couldn't live otherwise. We had to justify our existence some way, so we kept making excuses. And we became past masters. And if we couldn't find an excuse, we made one. In fact, we manufactured them by the carload. Now, on the other hand, we know that the ability to make or the habit of making decisions will solve most problems of life. Have you ever realized where the word decision comes from? It comes from the little Latin word decido. And you know what that means? That means to cut in half. To cut in half. In other words, the problem is halved once we have made up our minds. Now, we know that history is full of examples of the perils of indecision and the successes as a result of a habit of decision. Now, let's take a few examples. First, good old Eve. Remember her? She was the gal that was the first woman in the human race. And she was a-setting there one day. And the serpent came along. And the serpent says, how come you don't eat the, the fruit on that tree? Well, she says, the Lord said, we can't. She said, the Lord says, in the day we eat the fruit, we'll die. 
serpent came up with a nice uh, answer for that one. He says, oh, he says, you won't die. He says, the Lord knows that when you eat it, you'll become like to him. Well, evidently, Eve had never fully made up her mind once and for all that she wasn't going to eat that fruit because she immediately began to waver, you know. <laughs> Gee, nice little apple. Mm. Looks good, but it tastes good. And she ate it. <laughs> she was the first one in the long line of sinners who hesitated. And then they were a pushover for temptation. The one who doesn't give in is the one who has made up their mind once and for all. With no ifs, no ands, no buts. This is it. Then let's take the example of uh, Lot's wife. Remember that story? When they were running away from Sodom and Gomorrah? And she, in her own right of curiosity as a woman, she hesitated though. And she looked around. She wanted to take another look. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. And then we have Moses, who is a very famous example of indecision. When the Lord told him to strike the rock and water would flow, he hesitated. And because of that hesitation, the privilege of leading the chosen people out of the land of bondage into the promised land was taken from Moses. Then, of course, Pilate. Pilate, you know, read the history of the condemnation of Christ and it stands out all over him. He couldn't quite make up his mind. One day he was about to leave Christ go and the next moment he was about to condemn him. And finally he couldn't do either. And so he washed his hands, you know. He says, you have a law, go take him. He couldn't make up his mind. And we know that today, Pilate is only remembered as the man who condemned Christ. Now, on the other hand, we know that history is full of examples of successful individuals who were men and women of decision. Take, for example, in ancient history, the Caesar. I don't know whether you ever studied Latin in high school, but if you did, you had to read about the Caesar's Gallic Wars. But you know, there's one thing that always struck me, was the ability of those men to make a decision. They didn't have bombs bursting all around them. I don't know what they had, swords flashing and stuff like that. But they were able to make decision day in and day out. Perhaps it's a little more interesting to come down to the modern era. For example, Mr. Roosevelt, and I don't know whether you're Democrat or Republican, but it doesn't make any difference. Undoubtedly, Roosevelt was successful in running for the presidency. He got there four times. But one thing that stands out in his life is his ability to make decisions. World-shaking decisions. Read the history of the 30s. And there you'll see that standing out above every other ability that he had. The ability to make decisions. You know, speaking of Roosevelt, after he died, they say there was a few fellows gathered together one evening that were talking about the possibility of whom they would run for president the next time. And one of them said, oh, we'll dig somebody up. Another guy said, oh, not that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> 
than General MacArthur. Read the history of the last world war, from Bataan back to Bataan again. And the one thing that stands out in his life was his ability to make decisions. Take our own President General Eisenhower. The reason he was made Chief of Staff was his ability to make decisions. Even good old Harry Truman. When he made up his mind to give him hell, he got elected president. Even good old Satchel Page. You know who Satchel Page is. He was the fellow, uh, the pitcher who was pitching. I don't know how old he was. He wouldn't tell. Nobody else knew. Maybe he didn't. But in his memoirs, he has there, During life, never stop and look around. Never hesitate. You might find somebody catching up with you. <laughs> then look around in your AA groups. And who are the men and the women who really have serenity and peace of mind and happiness and contentment? They are the men and women who are able and who do, as a matter of practice, day in and day out, make decisions. They have made a decision in the beginning that they are powerless over alcohol and from then on down the line, it has been one decision and another and another and another. That's how you get the habit of decision. How did we get the habit of indecision? We got it by practice. Somewhere long years ago, we were fronted with a problem. And what happened? We said, well, <laughs> I don't know. And we hesitated. So we put it aside. And that went on for a few days, maybe a few weeks. Then the next time, another problem, we hesitated more. Till finally, we couldn't make up our minds on most of our problems. So now we replace that by doing the same thing. Making a decision, then another decision, day in and day out. You know, it's so foolish not to be creatures with habits of decision. We are given a power of reason. All of us, irrespective of our educations, that means with sufficient time for thought to ascertain the truth that if we draw our conclusions, most of the time we will be right. Most of the time we will be right. So we're foolish not to practice decisions. Now this is not action. Action is different from decision. Decision is the trigger of action. You know, it's like the gun. When the gun fires the bullet, that's the action. But when you pull the trigger, that's the decision. Now, how is this done? How does a human person come and reach and make a decision? Let's take an example. Let's take an example of the greatest person that ever lived. And I don't think anyone will question this. And that is Christ himself. And let's take the example that occurred on the day before he was crucified. And it tells us that he knelt in the garden of Gethsemane. What did he want to find out? He wanted to find out the facts. What are the facts? Is this his father's will? Immediately he found out that it was his father's will... Not my will, but thine be done. 
the same way with his mother, Mary, when she was told that she was to become the mother of the Redeemer. She only hesitated long enough to find out the facts. Having been assured of the truth of the matter, immediately be it done to me according to thy word. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Now with all due reverence, I wonder how the man or the woman of indecision would have handled those situations. What would we have done? Let's, for example, say that we were picked to suffer the passion. And we would find out it was God's will. Then we would try to get out of it. We would start to shoot in angles. Well, can't you wait a while? Couldn't this be put off for a year or so? And after all, is it completely necessary that I go through all of this? There's your typical indecisive character. Your typical alcoholic. How would one of the gals have acted if she had been in the place of Mary? She would have said, Oh, no, you don't mean me. (laughs) Immediately drumming up excuses. Well, I couldn't do that. (laughs) The difference is the man of decision, the woman of decision... He hesitates, he meditates, he sees the facts, then he decides where the weight of probability lies, or the weight of truth. The indecisive character, he sees the facts, he maybe perhaps meditates and finds them out, then he starts shooting angles, trying to get around it. Afraid of making a decision. Now, uh... Why do we have this fear of decision? What are the obstacles or the causes of the habit of indecision that causes it to creep into our daily lives so much? In my opinion, it's fourfold. First, the fear of failure. We couldn't bear to lose. We couldn't bear to fail. That's the reason we were perfectionists. And as a result, lest maybe we fail, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't make up our minds. Another thing relative to Mr. Roosevelt, if there's ever one quotation that he made worthwhile, that is loaded with wisdom, it was the statement that he made, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Look at your AA groups. How many don't go along the spiritual life because they're afraid they might fail? On the other hand, what is it that finally makes me admit that I'm powerless over alcohol and then immediately that I have hope to solve this problem of mine I look around me in an AA group and I say, well, others have, why not I? That eliminates that fear of failure. Others have, why not I? You know, that's one of the oldest axioms of the spiritual life. 
And it's the one thing that will continue to coax the sinner along the path of virtue. Others have, why not I? The second cause of the habit of indecision is the refusal to accept reality. To accept responsibility. And you know where that came from? Because we were pampered all our life. Because how many of us, someone else made the decisions for so long. And then when we, when we were faced with reality, with responsibility, we couldn't live up to making decisions. So we started to retreat through the bottle. That's the reason we became dreamers and perfectionists and procrastinators. Now, uh, a perfectionist is not bad in itself. But you know the difference between a normal so-called perfectionist and the alcoholic perfectionist? We wanted perfection, but we wanted a shark tut. You know, they say about Mr. Disney that he's a perfectionist. But he knows how much patience and time and effort he has to expend. So he expends us. But we would try to shoot a shark tut. Try to get around saving all that effort, you know. That's the type of perfectionist we became. Then thirdly is lack of faith and trust in God. We always thought we had to do it alone. Self-sufficiency, the big A book tells us, is fine as far as it goes. But there always comes a time in everyone's life when self-sufficiency lets us down. And then there's only one thing that will enable us to continue to go on, and that's that power greater than ourselves whom we call Almighty God. Lack of trust in God. You know, they tell the story of a bishop. He was lying awake uh, one night trying to make decisions about the various problems of his diocese. You know, it's amazing how much sleeplessness is caused by indecision. But anyhow, this bishop was lying awake, and suddenly he heard a voice. It was the voice of the Lord. And the voice said, how about you turn over and go to sleep and let me solve a few of those problems? <laughs> then fourthly, pride. Pride, of course, is at the bottom of all failure. And particularly in making indecisions, many times we knew what we should decide. We understood it fully. But we couldn't face what someone might say. Oh, how many times that's the cause of indecision. Take, for example, when we were first approached as the possibilities that we were alcoholic. Hmm. Me an alcoholic? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, I take a little drink once in a while. But I could stop any time I wanted to. Why didn't we want to admit? Because... We, in our pride, couldn't bear to think that we were such an awful creature as an alcoholic. And then, fifthly, the cause of indecision is just downright fallen human nature. Remember the words of Paul? They give us such an insight into this human nature. You know, so many in AA 
they are a long time trying to get back, as they say, into right thinking and right living, trying to establish the habit of decision, and they fail continually yet, and they wonder why. I'm going to quote what St. Paul says. In my mind, I serve the law of God. In my flesh, the law of sin. The good that I will, I do not. The evil that I hate to do, that I do. O miserable man, who will liberate me from the bondage of this death? Unquote. There you have it. Old fallen human nature which always, no matter how long we live in this veil of tears, will come back and cause us to be indecisive again. There's a saying in the Proverbs that goes like this. A fool, that is a man of indecision, wanders. A wise man, the man of decision, travels. That's taken from the Proverbs. And we know, though, that wisdom comes only as a result of age or directly as a gift of God. You know, that's the reason, for example, that in most organizations, if a person holds an office of responsibility, they have to be so old because youth does not have wisdom. Now let's see how this business of making decisions works out in the various areas of our living. First, let us take our home life. How many problems in our home would be solved if we would only make up our minds, if husband and wife would only have a meeting of minds? But they put it on the shelf. And he shuts up and she shuts up. And or maybe she yaks, yaks, yaks. <laughs> Nothing's decided ever. And so the problem remains. How many times problems of our children are not solved in our home because we have not made up our mind this is it with no ifs, ands, or buts. As long as we leave that door open, some kid's going to come along, either your son or your daughter, when you're feeling pretty good, and he's going to get inside again. And he's going to get you to give in to something that you wouldn't ordinarily. Whereas if we make an overall decision, this is it, then there's no chance of giving in. Because your mind's made up. I'm going to give you an example of that. I learned the hard way. Here about six years ago, I learned that uh, in my travels, although I would begin from Indianapolis with a schedule, say, of about six, seven, or more talks, I would end up with about twice that number. And the reason was because I would come to a town, and a group would call me and say, say, you're coming near our town tomorrow night, you haven't got anything on, how about giving us a talk? And I'd give them a talk. So I'd end up talking every night, I'd get back home with no work done, nothing caught up, tired out, because... I had never made up my mind how many talks I could safely give and still be able to preserve sufficient energy to keep sane thinking. And so now I have made a general decision once and for all six years ago that once I leave Indianapolis, 
Until the time I arrive at the end of that journey, I never put a talk on that schedule. I have certain days set aside for my work, certain days where I must catch up on my rest, and even if the Pope would ask me, I wouldn't give him a talk. <laughs> but why? Because the answer is no before he asks. A general overall decision. That shows the value of it. That can be applied to so many things in our living, particularly in our homes. A meeting of minds. Decisions. Then in business. Why do uh, so many people today go along still day after day with the same old job, never bettering themselves because they've never made up their minds to get a better job? Oh, yeah, they're going to someday. So ten years passed, twenty years, and they still got the same job. And they still squawk about it. But they've never gone out to get a better job. Take, for example, in, in business also, in salesmanship. Who's the successful salesman? He's the fellow who, when he starts out either in the morning or on Monday morning, he knows upon whom he's going to call he knows exactly what he's going to say, and he knows thoroughly what he has to sell. He has made up his mind before he begins. And at the end of the day, or the end of the week, he is the successful salesman. But the person with indecisions, he starts out at the beginning of the week, he's going to stop and call on lots of people. And he's going to sell them all kinds of things. Until about the third one, he stops in the tavern for a little drink. Get courage to go to the fourth one because he's failed with the first three. Indecision. Then in our emotional life, the tensions, most of them inside, are built up by indecision. Oh, you hear the expression. We say, well, he has so many problems on his mind. That means he has so many things on his mind that he hasn't made up his mind about. Once we've made up our minds, there's no more problem. I either solve it or I accept it, and there's no more problem. But when I'm in the middle, well, maybe I better do this. Next day, well, maybe I better do that. Next day, maybe I better do this. Next day, maybe I never better do that. And as a result, I'm constantly uh, in the throes of nervous tension. <coughs> then in our financial life. The uh, pushover for the salesman that taps our reserves and makes us take on about a dozen payment plans that we never intended is a habit of indecision. We've never made up our minds that this is how much I can afford per week or per month. So a nice glib salesman comes to the door and he says, well, after all, it's only a dollar a week for 40 years. <laughs> and we give in. And then we suddenly find ourselves faced with an unbearable burden of debt, payment that we can't possibly meet because we have never made up our minds ahead of time. This is exactly what I can afford. Even in such... Uh, mundane financial affairs as uh, playing the races. 
You know what that is. The ponies. Horsemen tell us that there are some good systems on the market if the individual would make up his mind to stick with that system and nothing else. But what happens? John gets himself a system. Well, it misses. So he gets himself another system. He finally ends up with a dozen systems trying to put them all in one horse race. And so he loses. Or here's the other factor of human nature that comes in and makes so many lose. We have made up our minds, this is the horse. Somebody comes along and says, hey, want a hot tip? And I said, well, gee, he must know. He looks like he's an owner or something. Feed bag. Or suddenly I get a hunch. Oh, the name is Mary. So I change my mind. And I bet on the loser. You know, I made this remark in one of our retreats last year. As you know, all of my public talks are given first in my retreats the year before. So last year at one of our women's retreats in the Middle West, I made this remark, and I was telling about even in the racing business, that once you make up your mind, stick with it. Human nature doesn't want to do that. Well, anyhow... Last December, I got a letter, and it went like this. It said, you know, Father, after your retreat, my husband and I went to the races with another couple, and we were picking horses, and I had picked one, and I had made up my mind. I remember what you said, that once you make up your mind, don't change it. And they were trying everything to get me to change it, and I wouldn't do it. The horse came in, paid $500. And she says, find enclosed your share, $50. (laughs) That address is P.O. Box 1194. Then, of course, in our spiritual life, why are so many people so hesitant to return to God or to come closer to God? Because they can't make up their minds. Take, for example, Augustine. For years, he played around with prayer and the idea of serving God more faithfully, but he couldn't make up his mind. Remember how he tells us he prayed? Oh God, give me the grace of purity, but not yet. (laughs) He couldn't make up his mind. Whereas those people, those men and women who have come closer to God, who are progressing spiritually, are the men and women who have made up their minds that they can and they will. This is it. And of course, when that type of decision comes head on with the grace of God, something's going to happen inside. And we're going to become much, much better people. We're going to progress spiritually much faster than we do with our hesitation, our indecisiveness. We think of something that we can do for God, and then we hesitate. We put it off. 
Something else presents itself. Well, maybe I will someday. Or we hear the expression, which amazingly is in the Scriptures many, many times, be ye a saint or be ye perfect. And we think, well, <laughs> I'm not a saint. We use that excuse and we don't make up our minds. Of course we're not going to be a saint. We're not going to become better spiritually until the day comes that we have made up our minds once and for all, this is it. I am going to be a better person. Then how many still do not have the habit well established of prayer and meditation? You know, the 11th step tells us that we sought through prayer and meditation to establish our conscious contact with God as we understand Him. And yet, you know as well as I, the majority of AAs still do not have an established habit of prayer and meditation. Why? We've never made up our minds to do it. I think most of us have had some idea of someday, somehow doing it. But we never have made a decision. And where there's no decision, there's no action. Then, for example, in sin. Why do we fall time and time again into serious circumstances? I don't mean daily faults. I'm talking of serious willful wrongs. Because we have never made up our mind to avoid what causes it. We've never made decisions about these sins. These occasions, you know, that cause these sins. Then in the AA groups, why are so many still stumbling around the first step? You know as well as I, they have never made up their minds that they're powerless over alcohol. They have never once and for all made a decision that I am an alcoholic that my life has become unmanageable. Or if they've ever made it halfway, they've had a door open and now they have taken it back. Most guys and gals who slip around on that first step is because they have never made up their minds. And after all, either we are or we aren't. You know, there's no such thing as being a little alcoholic. <laughs> They tell the story, and this actually happened, that when the founder of AA in Indianapolis first read about AA in the Saturday Evening Post, he wrote to New York for more information. There happened to be at that time a fellow from Cleveland who was in AA and had been for some time, and he had always had the habit of writing to New York and finding out the names of inquirers so he could call on him on his route of travel and explain better to the inquirer the AA program. So he happened to get this fellow's name, the founder of AA in Indianapolis. So he got to Indianapolis on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, the fellow who founded AA there was sitting in his home with his family all growing around him. And this fellow came to the door, and he was rather a brusque individual. So he knocked, and he opened the door, and went in. He says, hello, Mr. Sheeran. He says, I understand you're an alcoholic. <laughs> well, Doris said, well, <laughs> maybe I am, and maybe I'm not. 
The man said, hell, man, make up your mind, you either are or you aren't. <laughs> so that was the beginning of AA in Indianapolis. Now, the reason I use Mr. Sharon's name without anonymity is because Dor, as we lovingly called him in Indianapolis, graduated, he died about three and a half years ago after 15 years of continued and contented sobriety. Then why have so many in AA perhaps taken that first step but have gone no further? Because they've never made up their minds that they want the rest of the program. Take, for example, the third step. Made a decision. Oh, how many are <laughs> in between there. Some days we turn our life over to God and the next day we take it back. Why? Because we have never fully made up our minds, this is it. We have never made a decision with no reservations to turn our life and our will, all of it, with no reservations, over to the care of God. We have never made up our minds. And there again, in, particularly in relation to God, comes this factor of fear. I think a lot of us would like to turn our will and our mind completely over to God, but we're, we're afraid. You know, like the character in The Hound of Heaven, fearful lest having found him, we have nothing else besides. Or like they say about the little old lady uh, who was on a ship that was wrecked, and she got very disturbed, and she ran to the captain. She says, oh, captain, is there any great danger? And the captain says, well, after all, madam, we're in the hands of God. Oh, she said it's as bad as all that. <laughs> it's as good as all that. If we make up our mind, then why do so many start to neglect meetings? Because they have never fully made up their minds as to the need of AA meetings. If I have convinced myself and made up my mind I am an alcoholic and therefore from what they suggest to me in AA I need insurance against the slip. I need meetings. And that's it. I won't so aptly give up going to meetings because I've made a complete decision. Then why do so many not come to AA itself? You know hundreds of them. Many in your own area of living whom you know need AA, but they can't make up their minds. They can't make up their minds. Indecision. Now I'm going to give you a quotation that you can take home and chew on as long as you wish. And with it I'm going to give you a paraphrase of that uh, quotation that I think will make the quotation a little more palatable when you're chewing on it. <laughs> and the quotation is this. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Remember that? Oh, we heard that all through school days. And I'm going to give you a paraphrase on that. The road to heaven, both here and hereafter, is paved with good decisions. And you who are able to make them 
I pray God that we'll all meet there again someday. Although as the days go by, we will still be human. We'll still be creatures as St. Paul tells us. In our minds, we serve the law of God, but in the flesh, the law of sin. The good that we will, we do not. And the evil that we hate, we do. O miserable man, who will liberate me from this bondage of death? And you know what answer Paul gives to that? The grace of God. May it give you the ability to make up your minds. Not only to stay sober. Not only that we're alcoholic. But to use all of the program. And then we will have that peace and serenity and happiness. Not only here, but hereafter. And may God love you all.